This is the Reading Instruction Show. I'm your host, Dr. Andy Johnson. Today, we are looking at the intersectionality of race, racism, and disability, sometimes called discrit. But first of all, we're going to focus on disabilities in this podcast. The disability is not a disorder or a deficit. Rather, it's merely a difference, a slight variation on the common theme of humanity. Disability is also an area that intersects with race, and we're going to see that in the next po- well, in this podcast and the next one. But first of all, let's define our terms. The Americans with Disabilities Act, ADA, defines disability as a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits one or more major life activities. But like race, disability is a social construct based on the idea of a mythical norm or average. In other words, human beings designed disability construct to categorize other human beings based on their idea of what they think a normal human being is or is supposed to be. Disability is a social construct that has evolved. For example, a century ago, there was no such thing as learning disabilities or dyslexia or ADHD or autism or emotional behavioral disorders. And today, these are established social constructs that continue to shift and change over time. For example, at one point, students with an IQ of 85 or below were considered to have an intellectual disability. When the criterion was changed to an IQ of 70 or below, all of a sudden, boom, a miracle! A whole bunch of people suddenly got cured. Imagine that. Now, let's take a look at two common models of disabilities. Models provide structures for perceiving the world and thinking about things that exist in that world. Two common models, the medical model and the social models, help us understand disabilities. The medical model views disability as something that is wrong, quote unquote, with a person's body or mind. Here the term disorder is often used in place of disability. For example, in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, DSM-5, Intellectual disabilities, autism spectrum disorder, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, and specific learning disorder are all listed under the category of neurodevelopmental disorders. Of course, this is different from DSM-4 and 3 and 2 and 1. It has continued to change. Now, a disorder is the term used here to indicate that some part of the body or mind is not functioning as it should. There's an order that should be, and this thing is thought to be out of it. Within this model, disabilities or disorders are viewed as deficits. Once diagnosed, people with disabilities are prescribed treatments to, quote, fix them. Trained specialists administer the treatments in order to get that disabled person as close to normal as possible. Sadly, the medical model still dominates the special education system and how people think about disabilities. 
This special education system is a system in which students of colors are disproportionately represented. This means that in our educational systems, a disproportionate number of students of color are seen as having a deficit. Do you see a problem with that? Now, the social model of disabilities, in contrast to the medical model, suggests that people with physical or other impairments are disabled by the way in which society acts. Here, the disability lies not within the individual, but on the social plane. With this model, a distinction is made between an impairment and a disability. An impairment is a condition or part of the body that is non-standard. For example, being blind, missing a limb, having a defective organ, or having a mental health condition are examples of impairments. A disability is the disadvantage or restrictions caused by a social group that ignores people with impairments, thereby excluding them from full participation in the mainstream of that social group. In other words, restrictions turn an impairment into a disability. No restriction, no disability. Restriction, disability. In an educational setting, the following types of restrictions often turn impairments into disabilities. Class sizes that are too large, poor quality of classroom instruction, unqualified or underqualified teachers, lack of professional development opportunities for teachers, one-size-fits-all types of instruction or instructional programs, high-stakes testing, mismatches between students' culture and classroom curriculum, culturally biased assessment and instruction, overly harsh or unjust discipline, teacher bias, and generally treating students like products moving down a conveyor belt and not like people. These types of restrictions are much more likely to occur in schools serving poor communities, which, by the way, tend to include students of color at disproportionately higher rates. Now, within the special education system, there's a hesitancy to use the word racism regarding this system. The word seems a bit harsh to some. It does not sit well. Words like disproportionality and overrepresentation seem more pleasant, more palatable. But it's impossible to deny the fact that whether intended or unintended, there are systems in place that disadvantage and restrict people of color. This is what racism is. And these disadvantages and restrictions exist within the special education system. To understand racism, it must first be differentiated from racist acts. Racist acts are acts of hatred and bigotry intentionally directed at one or more people based on their race. Racism breeds racist acts, but racism involves the larger systems, policies, laws, guidelines, and procedures. Ibram X. Kendi defines racism as 
a marriage of racist policies and racist ideas that produce and normalize racial inequalities. A racist policy is any measure that produces or sustains racial inequalities between racial groups. This means written and unwritten laws, rules, procedures, processes, regulations, and guidelines that govern people. Racism itself is institutional, structural, and systemic. Racism creates and maintains a racial hierarchy that discriminates against and disadvantages people of color. While it may be largely implicit, discrimination and disadvantages occur within the special education system in the form of teacher referral, testing, identification, and the quality and types of services. Now let's take a look at PL 94142. In 75, uh, 1975, Congress passed Public Law 94-142, Education of All Handicapped Children Act. It was later amended. It's now called the Individuals with Disabilities Act idea. This law states that in order for schools to receive federal funds, they must provide free and appropriate public education to all children with disabilities. Further, these students must receive special education services in the least restrictive environment. This means to the greatest extent possible, students with special needs are to be educated in a general education setting or classroom. Now, a continuum of services going from most restrictive to least are these. First, a home or an institution, that's the most restrictive, a special school, little less, full-time in a special ed classroom, little less, part-time in a special education classroom, a little less, part-time in a general education classroom, a little less, and general education with consultation, the least restrictive environment. That is the goal. However, when reviewing the literature on disproportionality in special education, it becomes clear that both appropriate and least restrictive are subjective terms that are open to a variety of interpretations. For example, when given the same special education label, African American students are more likely to be assigned to more restrictive settings with different types of instructions than are white students with the same label. Why does that matter? There is a difference between segregated instruction found in a special ed setting and inclusive instruction found in a gen ed setting. The outcomes are different. The types of instruction are different. And we'll be looking at these differences in the next podcast.